listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Nice. Doing good. Nice. Uh, you know, it uh, yet again, uh, another uh, a great episode ahead. And, um, and I think you know what's uh, so uh, been fun about a number of episodes we've been doing in the last little uh, kind of spurt of recording is that we've been highlighting uh, and uh, interviewing some uh, folks that we work with uh, here yeah. at Pula. Um, it, it just uh, after a while it occurred to us that my goodness we uh, we've been interviewing an awful lot of smart people uh, that don't work at Kula. Maybe we'll interview a bunch of the smart people that work at Kula and see how it goes. And it's been really fun so far. Well, as it turns out. Uh we really know our stuff well i think it's more that the people that work here know our stuff no or know their stuff or no stuff <laughs> i hope we know some stuff <laughs> i know yeah i mean it's, it's the nature of being canadian i don't think yeah. we want to admit that we no, know too much true. you know we're not that bright we'll just apologize for, for knowing anything <laughs> we're very very sorry for knowing anything but we'll then simultaneously act smug yes yes and ask for a bunch of money in the 100 percent canadian smugness <laughs> but no, um, okay, without further ado, today's guest um, is uh, one of the longest uh, serving employees here at Kula, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, not to try to age her in any way, and, um, and Kula's director of strategy. Yeah, yeah. No. and uh, we're, we're quite lucky to have her. So joining us today is Laura Hawkins. Welcome to the Kula Ring, Laura. Thank you. It's fun to be, I guess, uh, on the mic instead of behind the scenes this go around. <laughs> yeah, you did a lot of the early recruitment for, uh, and you know, could uh, take credit for a lot of those great guests that we got in the early days of this show. Yeah, definitely. That was uh, that was a, a fun project to to launch the podcast and kind of conceive of everything we were going to do. So this is uh, kind of coming full circle. So you get proving just yet again that Jeff and I just show up. <laughs> Do this. But but I will say that this is one of the few projects that Laura has had a significant hand in that we're still doing nearly three years later. Usually we just, yeah, we're going to, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff and I haven't always been known for our stick to it in this. That's fair. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Uh, but, you know, there's no something comment. you said about Trying different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, that's not what we're here to We're not going to fix our stick issues uh, in one 30-minute episode. But what I think we can do is uh, shine a little bit of light on uh, the use of archetypes in manufacturer branding and communication. But before we do that, why don't we more officially introduce Laura and have maybe Laura, you can just tell our listeners a bit about yourself and uh, a bit about your background, et cetera. Yeah, by all means. So again, I'm I'm Laura Hawkins, coolest director of strategy. As uh, the guys alluded, I just hit my uh, nine year anniversary with Kula, and things have certainly changed quite a bit at the agency since the the day I started. Um, I think I might have been the first marketing hire. So that <laughs> when we look in the rearview mirror, it's like, well, we've come a long way, baby. Um, <laughs> so so today, I uh, I lead the firm's. Uh, complement of strategists, uh, spearhead um, the our client strategies, and uh, contribute to Kula's management team. And that means I get to wear a lot of different hats and work with a lot of really, really interesting organizations and some really wonderful people. 
uh, on the Kula side. So I think that's probably a pretty, uh, as good as a synopsis as, as or condensing uh, nine years of <laughs> experience into uh, a quick elevator pitch as we're going to get. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the great things about what you get to do, especially with our clients, is you work at a really high level and get to see in depth, you know, what, uh, you know, what strategies need to be implemented and, and how to create those on a, on a unique basis for each client, which kind of plays into what we're going to talk about today. Lots of fun. Yeah, this is what we're talking about is one of my uh, favorite engagement types. It's a, a, a really interesting muscle to, to get to flex. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit further, I, I guess. Um, Maybe we can we'd start by what just even what we mean by archetypes in manufacturer branding, and then then maybe we can get into um, the the why and the challenges that it helps address. Does that make some yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, so archetypes are a a kind of concept that was conceived of by Carl Jung, and it was mostly in the realm of psychology and this idea that there are these consistent, almost kind of characters that come up uh, throughout human history, across cultures uh, that are that resonate in different stories. And it, it, it kind of comes back to this idea of, you know, storytelling being so innate to human nature. And these same character types or kind of categories come up time and time again. And there's almost... Um, if I had a visual in front of me, I would I would show you a wheel where there are 12 of these categories. And as I start to list some of them out, you can start to picture them maybe um, in, in your favorite stories, movies, books, uh, and, and fiction, things like the hero or the caregiver or the innocent, uh, the joker. And these different uh, personalities show up uh, in again, in in day to day pop culture, all kinds of different things, and these are really really powerful because they tap into this kind of uh, innate part of human nature where they're able to be recognized again across time, across culture, and so this principle of archetypes in branding has been used by the B two C world for decades at this point. Uh, and as you look to some of the best known brands in the world, they've been employing these archetypes in a really consistent way. And when I say these archetypes, the most successful brands have chosen one and wrapped their entire identity identity around that particular archetype. So it's not a matter of switching. It's a matter of, of finding one and, and really sticking to it and using that as a platform for all of your marketing communications as though uh, that brand had that specific personality and it comes through in, in everything. Um, so I think what's really exciting is that this is still somewhat unprecedented in the B2B world. All the big brands like you, you know, your Coca-Cola would be the innocent. You think about kind of how they conceived of um, Santa Claus or think about the the cute ads with the the polar bears, um, or think about uh, kind of renowned brands like uh, Mercedes Benz. They would be the ruler archetype that comes through at when if you were to visit their website or, or any of their um, any of their marketing materials. It's very clear that they see structure in the world and they want to 
position whoever drives their car kind of as a ruler or a leader. It, it kind of automatically maybe sets you apart. So what's interesting about these brand personalities is that while they've been used in B2C for, again, decades, it's still um, relatively uncharted territory in the B2B world. And uh, as you start to look into uh, different brands in the B2B world and and do competitive analysis, uh, like we often do as part of this uh, our, our archetype offering, you'll find that a lot of B2B brands have not necessarily adopted a really, really distinct brand personality. And it's often difficult to uh, identify an archetype within a B2B brand, especially in, in the manufacturing uh, vertical. And and then the cost, con- to contrast that with uh, the Mercedes-Benz example that you use, which, I mean, I, I remember the um, we, we had uh, our creative director, Craig, mock up the uh, Mercedes-Benz homepage um, using the jester archetype um, to contrast what it would look like if they were a jester brand versus a ruler brand. And uh, I've shown that to a lot of people, and people can't tell me why it's wrong. They just know it feels wrong. It's like you're put on a, 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 a suit that's just the wrong size or something. Like it's just, nope, nope, this doesn't feel right. Um, and it's interesting to see that consumer brands, especially the most successful ones, have really done a great job of cementing that in, in our minds. And then you see that, I guess, Laura, what you're saying is as you contrast that with what you see on the manufacturing side, it's like, man, it's just a, a lot Feels of missed like a opportunity. Lost opportunity. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think um, it's it's worth noting that it's not even just kind of um, a bunch of, uh, uh, I don't know, we're not charging crystals and <laughs> it's not witchcraft and wizardry. There was a study, um, uh, Mark and Pearson, who authored The Hero and the Outlaw, which if this, uh, for, for those listening, if this sounds intriguing at all, that book is um, really fantastic and does an excellent job of kind of stepping through the application of archetypes in branding. But there was a a seven-year study that was conducted and Mark and Pearson explored changes among brands that applied or did or didn't apply a consistent archetype. And they found that uh, the market added value, which is a measure of the value a company adds to shareholder investment and economic value added, which is an estimate of net operating profit minus opportunity cost invested in the enterprise, they found that in their analysis, um, the MVA and EVA of strongly aligned brands grew uh, at a consistently greater rate than those with weakly aligned brands. And I think that is important to note that it's not uh, just do it for the sake of it, that there is a a monetary uh, kind of, I guess um, there's a monetary meaning behind why it's important, a a profitability standpoint. So you can kind of stand behind it and and quantify the impact of of being able to adopt a consistent brand identity and, and what that actually means to your business's bottom line. Well, I think the thing that I really love about it, and I say this as somebody who's had the opportunity to develop a number of identities and, you know, corporate identities and brands and things like that, you know, the stories that we tell about the visual part of those things are always a little bit harder to 
to connect, you know, like you, you can say that the logo has these elements and therefore it means this, but those aren't necessarily cross-culturally understood. Um, they're interpretive in a lot of ways, but archetypes really are post-design rationalization post in the worst <laughs> cases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, never. Um, but you know, I, I think archetypes are a little bit more, they're, they're a little bit more, um, universal in their appeal and understanding. And I think people can kind of latch on to stories in, you know, it doesn't matter what language, it doesn't necessarily matter what culture, you know, a hero is a hero and a villain is a villain, you know, yeah. as far as storytelling goes, which is you can't say about visual things in the same way. Exactly. And, and I would actually go one step further because that, that identity is one of the pieces of the toolkit and the normal brand marketers, you know, you need Often to have the, the only tool. Only uh, but, and then there's brand guidelines typically as well. And that's what, that's where I find archetypes. Like that's the, that's the thing that archetypes almost creates a shortcut for. Yeah. It feels supersedes me. a regular, traditional brand guidelines well, the, because brand guidelines put you in the position of having to uh, enforce rules whereas uh, that that all sometimes seem arbitrary or artificial to people um whereas if you can get people thinking about the brand as an archetype then it then we're on a different path aren't we laura like it, it, it's it, yeah, yeah i think that's a, an important point because you know even as we were teeing this up it was from the perspective of finding a way to resonate kind of in the psyche of your customers. But the application of archetypes also has the impact of being able to resonate with the people who are communicating on behalf of that brand, which for anyone who's uh, managed a multi-person marketing team, or for that matter, a, a complex multifaceted organization finding a consistent way to, you know, have dozens or potentially hundreds of people communicating on behalf of a brand is a uh, tall order, to say the least. And uh, if you can find a way to tap into your internal kind of audience's psyche, and they can, when they communicate on behalf of the brand, they put on, you know, the hat of the archetype, it actually makes it potentially easier for them to communicate in in that consistent way because they're able to assume that identity in a way that is easier for them to identify with than you know a, like you said kind of an arbitrary set of uh of guidelines that they might be being slapped on the wrist <laughs> about <laughs> yeah well, brand guidelines brand language guides things of that nature um can never fully um, imagine all possible scenarios or no. um, conditions with which that needs to live. Um, and and uh, Laura, I think your point so so well taken. It's that that notion of archetypes allows you to um, almost fill in the blanks in a like you can. It allows people to 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 appropriately deal with those nuanced decisions based upon what would this archetype do? How would, yeah. how would they approach it? And so I think that's the real, um, you know, some of the real power in archetypes is that it allows you to, to fill in those blanks. You don't have to imagine every eventuality. You don't have to have a guideline and a brand language uh, prescription, if you will, for every possible scenario. It allows people to 
interpret what that brand archetype would do and how it would be expressed and do so in a more successful way for like they're they're yeah. able to, to more consistent yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that's especially important you know if you're if you're constantly creating content you know to have that in your back pocket is that you know our our brand would say things this way you know gives you you know constraints um foster creativity that way and i, I really like that i think another really interesting thing i've seen in addition to the point of helping folks fill in the blanks and and kind of put on the hat of what would this archetype do, it's been really interesting to watch how organizations, even outside of the the marketing department, kind of rally around the identity. It's been an interesting morale booster with some of the the, uh, organizations we've worked with conducting this type of exercise folks that you might not necessarily get a lot of exposure to um, in the day-to-day are are involved and really excited. And I think that is kind of an interesting implication too, because it makes the the kind of initiative maybe not so much, at least from what I've seen, not so much that is, is something being forced on others by marketing, but rather something that the whole organization is excited to rally around, which I, I, I always think is, is kind of interesting. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Yeah, certainly um, easier soil to till than if you feel like you're just imposing something on somebody. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I mean, you know, the, the internal win is huge because mm-hmm. when you have buy-in from everybody on the team, you know, it just, they'll all express the brand better than they ever would. Then, you know, mm-hmm. here are the colors and please use Helvetica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Doesn't seem as much like as much fun, does it? No. Well, I, it does to me, but I'm yeah. not. Wrong, so. yeah, I can I can think of uh, even that that internal benefit. I can think of one uh, startup manufacturer client that we worked with um, and helped kind of solidify um, their, their brand archetype direction and and and, and gave them the the kind of the tool set to to think about that and to to put that into practice as they uh, were were rushing towards a series a round and um uh and they cite that as 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 being the thing that ex- that kind of accelerated the investor interest that they were because it just it allowed them finally to uh, uh communicate consistently from R&D and production when you know when the CEO is talking to to a potential investor group uh they were it sounded like they were singing from the same song page as the head as the head of R&D yeah. um I, I think it was just so uh really just um, gratifying to see mm. it come to, to, to life yeah. but what's amazing about it in that way is that it's 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 like good design but for language and 
good design is often invisible to most people. Like they don't see it. They don't understand why something feels right or why something feels good. And it's the same kind of thing with that. I mean, the, you know, the people who are investing in, in our client wouldn't necessarily have said, you know, I really think that the way that they portrayed their archetype was good. Mm. You know, <laughs> They just thought everybody seems to be on the same page and I don't know why let's give them money. <laughs> so Laura, you've tell, told us a lot about archetypes, but I guess, I mean, so, so we, I mean, so we know that that kind of ins, inconsistent brand communication is some is, is kind of a bit of a problem that they can help solve. But what else? What, what's the real um, uh, hump, if you will, that they help brands overcome? I think, and and the the reason that a lot of uh, organizations have come to us for this is really around how do I stand out from the pack in a potentially crowded space in a space where maybe what you do is pretty similar to your competitors. And yes, you have your um, kind of differentiators and value propositions, but a lot of people are talking about the same thing in the same way. And how do you help yourself stand apart from the pack in, in those scenarios? I think that is a, is a, a, a really important point and something that's been really interesting to dig into over the last few years of, of doing this uh, type of work because often the engagement, one of the first things that, that we do is conduct a competitive analysis and what comes to light pretty quickly and in some, <laughs> some ways very astonishingly, uh, if that's a word it is now, is uh, is that especially in there are, are are kind of across the manufacturing vertical more broadly there are a couple of almost crutches that a lot of manufacturers tend to use around their messaging. Carmen coined this in an article a couple of years ago. The QSP trap, quality service people. You definitely see that across the manufacturing space and kind of across um, sub kind of sub industries within it. But as you start to dig into some of these sub industries, there are an even kind of broader portfolio, I would say, of consistent messages and and themes that come up. But it, it, it becomes to the point where as you put them side by side, it, it just everyone's saying the exact same thing the same way. So if you were a prospect or a customer, and you were evaluating you know, a partner or a vendor, uh, it would make, how do you, how can you possibly decide who is a good fit when everyone is saying the same thing the same way? How can you decide who aligns with, with you or what you're interested in? Um, it would make the, that, that job, I would think a little bit more difficult because it's just, uh, kind of, to borrow Carmen, a, a, a term of yours, a sea of same, but it's just been really interesting to, see that come to light every single time we've done this exercise and done a competitive analysis when you stack competitors messaging side by side it's also it's been a bit of a light bulb moment i think for for our clients too because they see it and maybe they didn't realize because they were doing the same thing all along they knew that there might have been a problem they knew they might needed they they need to maybe find a way to differentiate themselves but they didn't really realize how i guess bad the problem was until you stacked everyone side by side and there was no one saying anything, anything different, anything different from, from one another um, in the, in the deck of cards. 
and I appreciate your distinction between saying the same thing and saying it the same way. They're, they're two different things. You know, on the one hand, you know, we see these categories all the time where you must always, uh, you know, everybody has to be leading with uh, on issue X. Maybe sustainability is the issue that, cat that this category must hang its hat on. And then not only does everybody talk about sustainability then, but then they all use the exact same language and style in talking about sustainability. So when you see these competitive analyses done, um, uh, not only is the messaging the same, but then the, the archetypes stand up. Like they're, they're all the same archetype. With, without even having chosen one. Right. Totally. In, inconsistently expressed often or, or, or consists, you know, expressed in some, some, some weaker than others. But, you know, again, it's, uh, but when it comes to that core um, uh, issue that they all have to talk about, they all talk about it the same way. And, and I, I think that's, what the power of an archetype is, is it gives you the ability, you can still talk about the topic of the day that everyone else in your category is talking about, but you can talk about it in a different way. You can approach the problem differently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's been really interesting in, um, I'm thinking of a, a recent example where, again, what our, our client did was not markedly different from their competitors, but through the lens of the archetype, we were able to kind of wrap, um, we were able to, to wrap not only the messaging and their positioning statement and, but even the visuals in a way that helped tell this story and automatically like as soon as we started applying that consistently in, in, um, and it happened really nicely because we did the archetype exercise in the lead up to a website redesign. So we were just able to take that and apply it to something really concrete right away, which is maybe kind of another, another sidebar. Um, I think that's really helpful because it helps people if you can apply it almost immediately to something, even if it's a bit more tactical, it just helps bring it to life. But that's a, a little bit of a sidebar. But I guess where I'm going with this is that it, 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 as soon as we did that, it just helped the overall presentation of that brand, even though what they did, even their listing of products, even talking about the issue of the day, even though that had not necessarily changed the way that it was presented and the way they stood out stacked up against that kind of deck of competitors, it just transformed it and it gave it such um it, it gave us such a better kind of story uh and experience to work with which was really exciting to see it in practice like that and and one that can be extended and told by the brand in a more consistent way you know and more long term i think that's important to note as well i i mean i i i would hate for people to think it's uh, simply veneer Right, it's uh, to to your earlier point, Laura. Is veneer with a purpose, uh, with a profitability purpose at the end of the day? Yeah, that's um, really uh, it, it's it, and I think that was, that's a really great lesson for to, to communicate um, that you just that you guys just highlighted this notion that you don't have to uh, run one hundred and eighty degrees away from the the sacred cow issue of your category yeah, maybe you can't maybe you can't yeah. and maybe all maybe what you but what you can do is you can choose to talk about and live into that in a different way it it, it may even shape your why you know 
and uh, without, I, I don't want to get, uh, I guess, too specific and give uh, anything away, but just thinking of a, a recent example, it, 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 having selected an archetype helped us articulate why issue X was important to them. And it made it, it tied it back to a bit of a values kind of conversation, which was kind of being communicated by customers, but it wasn't really always clear. Um, I, I realize as I'm saying this, it's vague without being specific. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire thing we're trying to yeah. combat here. The, the nature of being vague is not specific. I think it's fine. <laughs> uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we, we can't quite, uh, uh, you can't be giving away all client uh, no, no, no. Uh, no. details. No, so I get a pass. Great. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, good. Good. I, I think that, no, it's, it, um, I guess, Laura, when you do this work, I'm curious, you know, the whole um, uh, you know, famous quote, the sculpture's there, you just, uh, I just chip away at it. You know, <laughs> like, um, how much of it is, do you feel like, like the archetype's already there and what you're trying to do is expose it and, um, Clarify and, 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 and point out to the company that, and to the brand that, that it actually exists and that it can be um uh enhanced or and how much do you feel like it's um like it's a bit of a blue ocean opportunity uh, and you can kind of go in a wide number of ways i think yeah that's been that's been really interesting i would say that it, it's kind of a uh about striking a balance of two things i think that for many of the organizations we've worked with there have been key characteristics or aspects of what they do that point the way to something because ultimately and I think this is an important point the archetype you select needs to be something that you can live into in a natural way it can't be forced it can't be contrived that will work against you so it needs to it does need to be something that is aligned with kind of who you are as an organization. Otherwise, it, it won't stick. And I think it's also important, you know, you can't just say, okay, we're going to be the jester if what you do is something pretty serious. And, uh, and, 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 you know, you need to be kind of uh, looked at in a particular light, you can't necessarily select an archetype that will work against that. At the same time, uh, and, and you need to make sure that the personality that you're selecting is sufficiently differentiated from others in your category. So you need to almost be looking for where is the empty space um, within the category that we can occupy. So it's a little bit of finding a, a balance between those two things um, because maybe something seems like it would be a really natural fit for your organization. Uh, and maybe if, if they haven't intentionally you know, adopted an archetype, they seem like they're kind of playing in that space well, that isn't necessarily going to help differentiate you. So finding that balance is, uh, I think, really fun. It can be a little bit of a challenge, especially if uh, it, it may seem to a client like, okay, well, this is just who we are and maybe they feel strongly, but maybe other people are kind of already playing there. You kind of need to push them a little bit outside of their comfort zone. But once again, it needs to be something that is not contrived or forced it needs to be something that they can live into in an authentic way so i think those two things are an important uh two important considerations when making a selection 
almost like the space you can occupy competitively that you can most authentically live into mm. ought to be where you end up. That's a like. great summary. Yep. Huh. I like, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to imagine a brand that's like, you know, one of the five that's stacked up all in the one archetype of their competitive set, right? Mm. And they feel like, okay, well, anything that we do that doesn't talk the way we normally are used to, um, will it uh, will it come across as? You know, it's it's it's, a, it's interesting to conceive it through through that lens to say, you know, yeah, you still need to find that open space, but then what's the open space you can most authentically live in? For some clients, it's been a really kind of out of the gate it's something that they when we present um options there is one that you know stands out that they're automatically comfortable with and and it kind of helps them say oh yeah this this kind of is who we are but more focused um more tightly articulated in other instances it's been interesting kind of challenging clients to think about what they do a little bit differently and ultimately select something that maybe they wouldn't have thought they'd be comfortable with, but that ultimately makes sense. That's been really kind of interesting and, and fun to work on. It's like a makeover. <laughs> maybe someone didn't see themselves that way, but once you kind of show them, they're like, okay, yeah, maybe we can do this. Maybe this is who we are. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not even going to try to go there. Never mind. What not to wear? To, or yeah, I don't know. I don't, a breakfast level. club reference? I, maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> I, the mind, the mind wanders. Yeah, <laughs> we won't subject anyone to that today. Well, Laura, it has been fantastic um, getting you to walk us through archetypes and how uh, manufacturers can benefit from them. Any uh, parting thoughts as we finish up with you today? Yeah, I think, um, I guess I'd like to part with uh, potentially a couple of resources to point folks toward in case they find this sort of thing uh, interesting. A couple years ago, uh, Carmen had uh, published an article on our site called the QSP Trap and how manufacturers can achieve brand uh, effective brand differentiation, I would really suggest checking that out. And also, uh, just to kind of reiterate that resource that I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, The Hero and the Outlaw by Mark and Pearson, uh, really excellent book and resource if uh, applying archetypes to branding is, is something that you're interested in. So I think, um, you know, our perspective and how we wrap that for the manufacturing industry in addition to what we've talked about today is 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 probably pretty useful and then again if if kind of stepping outside of um just the industry and and more looking at this uh kind of technique from a thousand foot view i think that uh, that resource is is really excellent fantastic and uh, we'll make sure to get the uh the show producer to uh, link those up in the in the description below and by that i mean me <laughs> <laughs> awesome Thanks again, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.